Welcome to this latest episode of Motos and Friends, brought to you by Yamaha. I am Arthur Coldwells. Yamaha revs your heart. Actually, I'm going off script for a second here, as I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, Yamaha. Yamaha has achieved an interesting road racing milestone recently. Here we are in mid-July 2021, and Yamaha motorcycles are currently leading the MotoGP World Championship, the World Superbike Championship, and here in the USA, the National Moto America Championship. That's quite an achievement. Anyway, this week, senior editor Nick DeSena gives us his take on Kawasaki's new Ninja ZX-10R. In the hands of Johnny Ray, this bike has dominated World Superbike for the last six seasons. In the second segment, I chat with road racing champion Eric Bostrom, now retired. Eric is a world-class athlete who raced motorcycles professionally at the factory level. That career was unfortunately cut short by injury when he broke his neck in a gnarly crash at Laguna Seca. Coming back from that was a long process, and Eric recovered fully, and a large part of that recovery was down to his own healing process and how he managed to help his body heal itself without a lot of the traditional intervention we're all used to. Eric talks to me about his discoveries and the resulting aids and help that he's invented and is bringing to market to help fellow back injury patients and sufferers. Eric is insanely fit and strong. He now races bicycles both on and off-road. Believe me, he's worth listening to. I hope you enjoy this episode. The YZF-R7 bridges the gap between the entry-level YZF-R3 and the prestigious YZF-R1, offering a mid-level option for both new riders looking to grow into a more powerful motorcycle, as well as experienced riders seeking a fully fared motorcycle. Discover how the YZF-R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true super sport performance. With an advanced CP2 engine inside an ultra-thin and lightweight chassis, the YZF-R7 delivers tons of linear torque, providing you with exhilarating track day sessions or plenty of power for ripping your favorite canyon curves. Take a closer look at YamahaMotorsports.com or see the YZF-R7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours. So, Nick, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Um, I understand that you've got to, to spend some time on the new Kawasaki ZX-10R recently. Um, this obviously is the sort of the gold standard in, in superbikes, certainly if, uh, if Johnny Ray's record is anything to go by. So um, how do you think uh, Johnny Ray is going to feel about the new bike? Well, so far this year... Uh, Sir Rhea is uh, probably feeling pretty good about it. You know, he's already won a handful of races and um, is leading the points again. So, yeah, but is this, but is this just you know Johnny Ray's genius riding a piece of crap bike, or is is the bike actually fairly good? No, no, no. I, I the ZX10R definitely stands on its two legs. I mean, the crowning achievement for Kawasaki is the fact that yes, it's won seven world titles in its tenure, six of which consecutively by uh, Jonathan Rea. Um, but overall, if you look at the ZX-10R, it's 
a fan favorite, I shouldn't say fan favorite, but racer favorite in club racing. So amateur to pro-am club racing throughout the United States and uh, globally. Uh, it's a racer favorite in the Moto, Moto America Superstock 1000 class. It has also done extremely well in British Superbike, which is another very competitive uh, professional racing series. So overall, um, I've always seen the ZX-10R as sort of the, the workhorse of the Superbike Classic. It might not be the flashiest motorcycle of the lot. It might not be your Ducati or Prilia or BMW in terms of that exotica feel. But what it does is the job, and it does the job very well. So when you're talking about someone that actually wants to go out there and build something, go fast and you know get good lap times and have a good platform to do it from, something that has a lot of support from the factory and a lot of um, performance uh, parts on the market to help you do that. ZX-10R is a very good option. So yeah. Yeah, I I, I, I rode the previous generation a few years ago at, uh, at Sipang in Malaysia and I was very impressed with it. I mean, it's really, it's an easy bike to, to ride. You get on it and you know, just before I even exited pit lane for the first time, I'm like, okay, this bike's going to be good. It just felt, it just, it felt natural to ride. How was, how, what was, what was your impression on it? Was, uh, you know, how did it feel? We, we do got to back up to the, the 16 iteration that you rode because this bike isn't a huge step away from what you rode in Sepang. Um, okay. you know, this year is really just about refinement and, um, sort of enhancing the bike's strengths or what I feel have always been the bike's strengths, which are, which are its chassis. You know, it's a very stable bike, really good on the nose when you're braking aggressively and tipping it in, you know, equally so when you're hard on the gas and exiting. So you have lots of mechanical grip to work with. Um, on top of that, there are some Euro 5 emissions uh, updates to the engine and then aerodynamic stuff and riding position updates um, per the orders of KRT and Jonathan Rea himself. You know, overall, it's not a far cry away from what you wrote in 16, but all of these things have improved the package. Okay. Um, have they done anything to the engine at all? Uh, a few tweaks. Um, so it's still the same, you know, 998 inline four motor that has been in there for a number of years. Again, it comes with, you know, a lightweight uh, DLC coated finger follower valve train, short pistons, titanium exhaust valves, low inertia crank, and those those components have been in the bike since 16. You know what that adds up to is a typical inline four experience where it's a lot of top end power, spins up nice and fast because you have that all those low inertia components allowing the engine to you know spin and get things in motion a little bit faster, so it has has less. Uh, rotating mass to deal with and you know the the only negative thing about uh, inline fours and superbikes in the united states is emissions so to deal with epa noise emissions you know the zx10r stops making power at 11.5 but it pulls all the way to north of 14,000 rpm uh in the u.s market our ZX, ZX10Rs are, you know, the kind of the decaf version, we'll say, but you're probably still looking at 170-ish horsepower. Uncorked, you know, you could get 200 all day with, you know, with a proper right. tune. And that that's what the the European bikes are are claiming is uh, up a little bit north of, of 200 horsepower. So Right, right. Yeah, I mean, the first thing anybody does with one of these bikes is, is uh, you know, flash the ECU and put on a pipe and, and away you go. Yeah. Uh, um, 
Yeah, interesting. Okay. Um, so anything else? Any other changes they've made to it? I mean, to the electronics, they always had, um, you know, a sophisticated electronics package on it, perhaps not quite as sophisticated as some and better than others. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, to address the other changes with the engine, um, probably the most noticeable change that I know that I picked up on while riding this thing for the first time is uh, the shorter gear ratios. So if you think about the ZX-10R in particular, it's always had kind of notoriously long gearing. Um, and that can be beneficial at certain racetracks, a, a racetrack that has a very expansive layout where you can really just hold the gas wide open throttle and bang through the gears. Um, that can be an advantage. But at you know, most racetracks, especially in California, that that longer gearing isn't always the best. So in in terms of internal gearbox ratios, they shortened first. Which track were you riding this on? So we were at the one exception where you can actually open up the superbike. We were at okay. Auto Auto Club Speedway, okay. which uses, you know, a good portion of the the banked NASCAR straightaway for its uh, front straight. Um, a lot of listeners may remember Auto Club Speedway for from when uh, AMA Superbike was racing there you know, the, the Latin days and Ben Spees and stuff like that. Sure. Um, they haven't, they haven't raced there in a number of years and Moto America hasn't gone back there, but uh, you know, it's, it's a track that's basically, you know, 50% high speed stuff and then a tight infield. And you're just always racing to get back to the wide open throttle sections of the racetrack. Um, so, so in the, in, in the sort of tight point and shoot areas of that infield, the shorter gearing is noticeable. It can, you know, get off the apex with just a little bit more zest than before. And then also coupling or coupled with the, the shorter gearbox ratios, you have slightly uh, shortened gearing with the larger 40, 41 tooth, tooth uh, sprocket. That's kind of how they, they did that. And that's, that's probably the most prominent change that I would say with the engine specifically. Now they also added an oil cooler, which Apparently the bike didn't have before, and I just never thought about that. But then looking at images, I was like, oh, I can't see the titanium headers anymore because they're covered by an oil cooler. So there's that. Um, but uh, yeah, really for the consumer end of things, an oil cooler is always beneficial because it helps, keeps, uh, it helps keep internal temperatures lower. And when you're talking about performance applications, again, that has benefits as well. So uh, that was actually one of the handful of changes that KRT uh, Kawasaki racing team uh, asked for specifically. Interesting. Well, go, going back to the electronics, have they have they changed anything? Um, anything there? Uh, they did. They had the sort of the, the Kawasaki special source, you know, software, and it didn't. The, the electronics didn't work great for me at Sipang. I have to be honest. I mean, I love the bike, but <clears throat> but the uh, the five axis, um, uh, you know, uh, software wasn't didn't. I had a couple of. Uh, couple of moments um on the traction control there yeah yeah you know i i I enjoy kawasaki's uh electronics package and you have to look at it from a slightly different perspective again it's one of these situations where it doesn't have all of the adjustment that the rest of the superbikes in the class have so if you look at like the ducati aprilia bmw etc 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 they have multi-level traction control where you have on the bmw it's it's something like 14 levels of tc so you can really dial it in tune it, yeah. um, to some seriously fine minutiae. But Kawasaki kind of breaks things down uh, and we'll, we'll keep it simple, you know, 
pretty simple for the for the sake of the podcast is you have your your ride modes and then you have your traction control mode your so your skTRC mode and that dictates everything from ABS uh, intervention uh, traction control obviously wheelie control slide control so it's all packaged under that and you have five levels of that kt or s skTRC now in level one the leash is quite long so there's a, a couple of turns at um, Auto Club Speedway where you're on the edge of the tire for an extended period of time. Sure. And you just roll on the gas and you're going to, you know, on, on any superbike, doesn't matter where it's the CX-10 or anything else, anything with this amount of horsepower, you're going to get wheel spin and some sliding and, you know, smudging of the wheel. And in level one, so it's, you know, definitely for the, the brave, I'll, I'll say, because you can spin up the rear and start sliding the bike to a point that I'm just not comfortable with, with my skill level. And, you know, it, it'll catch you out. And Kawasaki is pretty honest about that too. They openly say that level one is a a very aggressive riding mode. Now, if you just go one level up into level two, the traction control is far more approachable. It's uh, far more mated with my skill set as a rider. Um, so it doesn't necessarily cut power too early for me and kill drive, but I can tell that the TC just help and keep you a little safer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're, if you're coming out of a low RPM corner, you know, something, something that where you're just on the edge of the tire at, at a fairly high lean angle, you're right in the, the torque band um, and you start getting on the gas. It's not like holding the engine at a super high RPM where when the wheel spins, you know, it's just going to keep spinning. You can kind of break traction and it, it's tougher to negotiate that when you're dealing, dealing with that situation where it's right in the middle of the torque and um, it can get away with, or get away from you, I should say. And uh, right. yeah, level two is far more my style. <laughs> uh, level one, it, it'll catch, you know, TC definitely engages, right. but it engages a little bit late for my tastes. And um, sure. Yeah. But that's two, two levels out of how many levels in total? Uh, five overall. Okay. Right. So level two is still, that's still got to be fairly aggressive. I mean, presumably five is sort of maximum intervention and that's got to be a real low grip, you know, sort of rain time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, in terms of algorithmic changes this year, as you asked earlier, they did uh, update levels four and five. Okay. And we were riding on slicks and in a dry condition. So that's not something I can really comments on right so i i primarily focused on levels one two and three and settled with two because we we were using uh bridgestone battle x vo2 racing slicks which just have enormous amounts of grip um so yeah yeah, level two was totally cool yeah awesome have they made any changes to the suspension at all they always had the you know the zx10r always had the shower suspension really good quality i mean i love the suspension on on the zx10 before yeah it, it's uh, the same show suspension that's actually on some other super bikes in the class um i believe the gsxr 1000r has the same fork the showa um, bpf um but they they did update springs and uh, damping aspects of it so basically to encourage um some more front end feel and help the bike pitch onto its nose with uh, a little less effort, they actually softened the uh, spring rate. So, you know, that that's going to allow the bike to pitch forward 
with less energy. And that's something that the ZX10R has always enjoyed doing. It really likes being, you know, turned on the brakes. And to counteract the softer spring rates, they've gone with a little bit heavier compression damping. So just giving you more support as you're braking and you know pushing and loading that front end. And then a little bit softer rebound damping uh, to help it come back up. Um, and that's something that I did notice when comp uh, compared to the previous generation ZXNR. Now supporting all of that is a little bit more support in the rear. So you have a stiffer spring rate and then softer damping overall, because if they left the damping the same, it would probably just become super harsh. And again, that's another aspect of the ZX Tonar that off the showroom floor, you know, um, depending on your weight and skill level and all those different factors. For me, I always felt like the shock could use just a little bit more, a little bit more help. But yeah, it's 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 definitely helped the bike overall. But those aren't the only changes to the chassis. They also tightened up the uh, fork offset. So it has different uh, uh, treble clamps and the treble clamp is actually a little bit thicker on the bottom to encourage rigidity. And really that just changes the trail. So shortening trail typically makes a bike handle a little bit more aggressively. The ZXNR has always been a very physical bike. You know, it's extremely stable, but it likes rider input yeah. and anything you can do to get rid of rider input and just make it steer a little bit easier is always going to reduce fatigue for the rider. Right. So they did that. And again, that was something that I definitely picked up on now to counteract the, the more agile nature of the, of the, the 2021 bike is they increase the wheelbase a little bit just by, you know, tossing another link in the chain and, and bumping that, that wheel back further in the, um, the, the swing arm so it's not a different swing arm or anything like that and the last thing they did is actually lower the swing arm pivot point one millimeter so all of these changes have actually shifted the weight bias towards the nose 0.2 percent now i can't say i really noticed that one but um <laughs> because it, it's just kind of lost in the in the noise that's not something i can really discern but the other changes you know it that all speaks. But it does point the bike toward, like you say, wanting to turn a little bit on the front and putting a little bit more weight on the front. Like you say, the, the ZX-10 always likes to turn on the brakes and, and turn in on that. Yeah, exactly. So, so, uh, so it encourages trail braking for sure, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, whether it's neutral handling or, or you know, braking on or you know, trail braking, the, the bike handles just with that a little bit more you know, it's a little easier to, to deal with at this point. And um, my, my joke about the, the zero zero point two percent is, you know, it's tough to quantify those things into a number. <laughs> right. um, it's a, right. it's a general description, you know? So sure. yeah, everything does feel like it's just on the nose a little bit more. It turns in just a little better and you don't give up agility or control. So, or stability or control. So that's good. Um, now coupled with all of that is the updated riding position. So they've given you handlebars that are a little bit more forward. So something like 10 mil forward. And they're also flatter and, and it just kind of opens up the cockpit. And they've also raised the foot pegs up uh, just a, you know, something like just shy of a, oh, maybe like three quarters of an inch or not three quarters of an inch, like about a little, little less than a half inch or something like that. And um, so it's a, it's a more it's committed riding well, position. You can feel that. That's definitely pretty committed. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit more committed, but then they've also kind of offset that with more wind protection. So you have a taller windscreen 
that I can really tuck behind. And, and that's, that comes in handy at, at uh, Auto Club Speedway with this gigantic straightaway where you can achieve 170 miles an hour on a superbike pretty easily. Doesn't require skill, just kind of um, the ability to twist a grip. So, uh, you know, that helps. And um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, right. it, overall, you know, they've really capitalized on the, on the, the strengths of the bike and just improve those points for me. Right. So obviously it's an incredibly capable track bike that, you know, that's uh, with all the input from the world superbike team and so on, but is this got any sort of place in, in the real world on the street or, or is this just way too focused on track? Um, you know, it's that, that, that's a case by case scenario, I guess. I mean, all of the super bikes really, if we're being honest, are not that great on the street. You know, it's a very committed riding position, whether you're talking about a GSX-R1000, BMW S1000RR, Ducati Street Fighter, or sorry, Ducati Panigale V4, or the Kawasaki. Yeah, Yamaha R1, yeah. whatever. Yeah. You know, these are, these are all things that were built for the racetrack and street legal. Now, if you're in the canyons and you're having fun with your buddies and out for a, a spirited, you know, ride, out in the canyons yeah it's it'll it'll be totally cool getting to and from the canyons might be um <laughs> you know a challenge but uh no it's you know i i had a long-term 2019 kawasaki zx10r and i rode it on the street quite a bit as i did on the racetrack for many many track days and i think that it's as good as the rest of the superbike class on the street you just have to always take it with that pinch of salt that no this riding position is not designed with comfort of mind. It's designed with, you know, getting the bike pointed in a particular direction, you know, in, in the most efficient way possible. I guess to answer your question is, it's as good as every other super bike on the street. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Okay. It sounds like you really enjoyed the bike. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I love the ZX-10R. So uh, presumably it sounds like you you felt the same. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those bikes, like I said in the beginning, where, it's not an all new bike. They pretty much capitalized on, on everything uh, that the bike has done well. Um, you know, one thing, a couple other things that we didn't touch on just to sort of recap it is, um, and how it might be a little bit better on the street is that it does have cruise control now, which is nice. What? Yeah. Yeah. That's cruise control. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the few, one of the few super bikes that has cruise control. I believe the Aprilia RSV4 is the other one. And I, I think the R1 might have cruise control too. Can't remember. Um, oh, and the, the S1000R. But um, yeah, so it has cruise control. Um, you know, with the emission stuff, it has uh, introduced a problem with the new ride-by-wire throttle where it's pretty snatchy in the on and off stages. Um, so that initial crack or initial input uh, of throttle application um, can be pretty snatchy. Um, and that's that's something that definitely needs to get worked out. But um, you know, other than that, you know, and, and a little bit uh, conservative on the over rev protection with the auto blipper. So you might have to wait for the revs to settle just a hair for banging down that, that gear, that extra gear. Um, can you on the on the GSX R1000, you can actually change the speed of the uh, the auto blipper down. Does Kawasaki have that the ZX10? Not not as not directly as I understand it. As far as I know, it's tied to the respective ride mode that you're in. So whether you're in okay uh, sport, road, or rain, it changes the behavior. Okay. Um, as, at least that's how it was explained to me at the track. But um, yeah, auto blippers are a 
are a, are a funny animal. They are, it, they don't always work quite as one hoped, you know, would hope. I mean, we watch, you know, the MotoGP guys and they'll do a, a sort of a camera angle showing the guy's foot and, and the rider can just go click, 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 you know, and then just dive into the corner. And these street bike auto blippers just aren't capable of that. Not, not directly. And that's because those are, those are products that are absolutely engineered for the racetrack. And, um, uh, yeah. you know, they they don't really have the type of, uh, over rev protection that a street bike would. And, and that's really just to conserve the, the life of the motor and protect it. Um, right. You know, coupled with that, you do have a, a slipper clutch as the bike has had for forever. And, um, right. that works well. And, uh, again, all of these things are just improvement, improvement, improvement. There are some minor little things that need to get worked out, but, you know, hopefully they can do that right. with, um, subsequent right. generations. Again, I mean, you know, when, when you talk about a slightly snatchy throttle, um, again, that's just engineered for the racetrack in track mode or sport mode or whatever they want to call it. You know, you've got these big throttle openings on the track and, and typically on a track, I don't even notice those. And it's only when you take it out on the street, you're like, wow, this is this is pretty aggressive. And that's when, you know, I, I would sort of turn it down to into a different mode. Do you think that you could do that with this ZX-10R? Is that was just in sport mode that it's that aggressive? Or did it feel like that across all of the modes? No, it's it's not really a matter of um, the mode being aggressive itself. It's It's really a matter of just having the bike tuned for epa noise emissions oh i see um so it it's a, a characteristic that exists in every every mode um so whether you're in a sport road or rain and it's it's really just that the first you know one to three or five percent throttle opening so as you you know you're you're coming in turn turn two at auto club speedway and it's this really long left-hander where you're you're rolling on the gas and then the moment you go into deceleration or, you know, you get on the brakes first release of the throttle. It's, you know, a bit of a, Oh, and you know, it's uh, pretty snatchy in that, in that regard. Um, and then when you get back on the gas, it's that same, just initial throttle application in either direction. But again, these are all things that uh, racers immediately tune out. So. Right, right, right. Yeah. If it's a Euro five emissions thing, then. Yeah. And it's, it's really easy. A pipe and all that will get rid of that yeah and i would be curious if um you know the the bikes being sold in other markets uh suffer from this or if it's a result of a bike tuned for euro 5 and you know also being brought to the united states and then tuned for carbon emission and noise emission standards if that's that's the issue but uh right you know that, that would require some more investigation right sure but essentially overall your your thoughts on the bike yeah, overall, uh, just going back to the the strengths of it, it's they've really improved. Every, everything that that was good about the ZX10R is stronger. So its chassis is just as stable. You know, a little bit easier steering. You have a little bit more wind protection, which pretty much everyone did to begin with. You know, putting on a taller windscreen, and then you know you you have a. Uh, the aerodynamic stuff. So it has integrated winglets. It's, it's, that's, you know, stuff that's hard to quantify, but I also feel like the bike isn't as wheelie happy. So, you know, the, the, the plastics create 17% more downforce and the things, wow. the, the negative issues that, that were introduced with the, 
you know, the, the snatchy throttle, they can be tuned out. The, these are repairable things. And, um, right. you know, it, 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 the engine, you know, despite, again, suffering from the U.S. Uh, emissions related stuff, it's got a little bit more pep because of the shorter gearing. And we should also note that pretty much every superbike that comes to the U.S. has the same issues, especially when we talk about the Japanese offerings, whether it's the CBR1000RR, our Fireblade SP, um, the Jixer, uh, the Yamaha. They're, they're all, they all have these issues passing uh, EPA noise compliance. Right. And um, that, that's just the way it is. So, okay. yeah, you know. Overall, overall, great bike with, uh, with some subtle upgrades. Yeah. Yeah, subtle subtle upgrades that just kind of improve improve upon what was already a very very successful package. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's something that I, I I really enjoyed. So terrific. Okay, well, thanks, Nick. Appreciate your thoughts on the uh, the new Kawasaki ZX10R. We'll uh, talk to you later. There's a place where the track meets the street where the next generation of rider meets a new generation of supersport machine. It's called R-World, and the all-new Yamaha YZF-R7 is your gateway. The YZF-R7 bridges the gap between the entry-level YZF-R3 and the prestigious YZF-R1, offering a mid-level option for both new riders looking to grow into a more powerful motorcycle, as well as experienced riders seeking a fully-fared motorcycle. Discover how the YZF-R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true supersport performance. With an advanced CP2 engine inside an ultra-thin and lightweight chassis, the YZF-R7 delivers tons of linear torque, providing you with exhilarating track day sessions or plenty of power for ripping your favorite canyon curves. Take a closer look at YamahaMotorsports.com or see the YZF-R7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours. Well, hey, I, hey, I appreciate you coming on the pod. I remember you from your racing days. I remember it was, I think it was 1997, maybe, yeah, 1997, when you were in the Harley you know, championship. I think you won almost all the races that year or all but one. And it was just kind of embarrassing for everybody else how far ahead you were. And I remember standing, it was, I was actually at the Las Vegas round and I watched you, I was racing in the 600 Supersport race incidentally, but uh, I, <laughs> I, uh, I watched you, uh, I watched you going round and I was like, I think this guy's going to be pretty good. <laughs> He's a long way ahead of everybody else. <laughs> so you're, you're, I, this, this podcast actually isn't really so much about your racing career. Um, but I'd, I'd like our audience who a lot of them are, are younger people who weren't necessarily following racing in, in the days when you were racing, but I think it, it sort of establishes your credentials for the research that you've done on back aches and, and back mate. So what, what can you tell me a little bit about your racing and how you kind of got started and what really pushed you into the, the, the back research kind of thing? Yeah, the racing career was um, kind of happened, I think, by chance or, or let's say um, it definitely wasn't like something that we were aiming for. But uh, luck would have it that I had two older brothers and, um, and I chased them around and 
they were both really fast on the bikes and the, and then my dad raced so <laughs> and they owned bike shops <clears throat> and so it was it was, i guess it did seem kind of natural but it, it's not like we came up and did all hit all the races and uh and just expected to go racing it was more like something that just came very easily and and uh and right. so it was um it was cool to have Ben and I always had this like uh, sort of internal battle of who could who could beat each other, and it didn't matter if we were racing like scooters. Like my from the bike shop, my parents had all these wrecked scooters, so we would sort of like get these twisted up pieces of metal running again, and and uh, <clears throat> and it was you know crash up derby. But the race was intense and we always joked that it didn't matter if we we're racing for, you know, Superbike Championship or, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, like running around the block, like the competition was just as intense. It, it didn't, didn't matter what was on the line. It was more uh, a thing of uh, sort of pride to, to, uh, to, to beat up on your brother, right? For sure. So, um, we were lucky enough to like uh, we we're lucky to race with the same the same Harley Davidson teams. We raced for Bartels Harley Davidson together, traveled the country, um, you know, and we we're sort of paying our dues, hit hitting the hitting the ground every now and then, and winning some races on the other side. You know, like racing's great because you have the very high highs and the very low lows, and it teaches you a lot in between to what to appreciate. And, uh, and then, and then also, of course, mistakes not to do. And through that, you also learn a lot about injury recovery. And, um, and I, I started formulating this sort of idea very early on that athletes were great at recovering from injury because you had to, if you didn't recover from injury, you were going to miss the event, you missed the event and, uh, you may not have a ride. Right. So you see throughout many different sports athletes able to come back in what seems to be a miraculous uh recovery time and it's it's a function of the need to and so that's sort of where backmate spun out of and uh we'll kind of like maybe jump forward into that but um but the 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 idea there that if you push your recovery you're going to move forward. And if you're sedentary, you're, you're going to stall out. But jumping back into the racing thing, um, that was a, a you know, fantastic time racing Harleys. And then we moved on to you know, the, uh, the, the um, Japanese always, um, Ben and I both raced for Honda. And then we both raced for Ducati. Uh, I raced for Kawasaki. So with this like great career racing world championship, and that was, uh, it was like the, I want to say like, you know, like it was a golden era of racing and it was also this golden era for, you know, our lives to, to be able to claw our way towards, you know, racing to get against the best in the world. It's interesting when you talk about, um, you know, injury, because to me, there are two very distinct components to it. One is pain and pain management, and the other is the actual injury. And I mean, in, in my case, I've had some horrible injuries over the years, um, when I was younger and when I was less young. And- Is that because you were riding death trap motorcycles? 
<laughs> like those big CB one thousands. <laughs> no, well, no, actually, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, actually, I, I've, uh, I mean, although I've crashed on the track plenty of times, I never really got hurt doing it. In fact, I've walked away from some really fast ones, you know, weirdly. Um, but uh, no, my injuries were on the street and it was, you know, other people doing really stupid things, uh, essentially turning in front of me um, and have, have caused some real bad injuries. But the, the long and the short of it is, is that for whatever reason, I have a fairly high threshold of pain, um, which I think can be a double-edged sword because, um, and I, I don't know what you think about this because I know racers have these have this astonishing ability to put pep, to put pain to one side. Um, I mean, I remember I remember Miguel Duhamel, you know, when he broke his leg and he was lifted on and off the motorcycle at Daytona. They had to be carried to the bike, and he still managed to win both races. And I certainly know, you know, even more recently, we look at you know Mark Marquez and what he's gone through in the last year. Um, and so there's definitely two components to injury. It's sort of like, okay, you're, you're in pain, but are you injuring yourself? So what's your sort of take on that? Is it a good thing for people to manage pain or is it better to listen to your body and get it fixed first? I mean, you know, it sort of goes back to what you were just saying about sort of pushing through. Is that a good thing? Yeah, I think there is a balance there. And um, certainly, you know, if we're talking about um, reoccurring pain, um, we do need to listen to our bodies. Um, but the the flip side is uh, is um, central sens sensation, which is um, re reoccurring pain that essentially deepens the pain pathways. So you're you're widening this canal in a sense, and uh, in doing so, the pain. Let's say if it's a you know a, a pain that's a level five one one through ten level five that pain starts creeping up and it becomes you know five and a half and then six and then six and a half and it's the same pain but the brain is is really responsible for the interpretation of that signal and so by um kind of uh i guess you'd say <clears throat> being too keyed into the pain um you and and really not doing anything about it the pain is going to worsen and so that opens up a, a ton of opportunity for us to shake up that 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 pain signal and we can do that in the way that we do you know physical therapy and recovery we can do that through uh, supplementation um, nutraceuticals um, such as you know like a reishi lion's mane um, capsaicin we can more or less kind of shake the snow globe a bit uh, as far as uh, resetting the, 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 the pain signals and um, so there's a there's a ton of exciting things that we can do um, to really get beyond the pain. And I think that is like the, the number one backmate message, which is, uh, you know, if we, if we, uh, if we're sedentary and we don't do anything about it, then we end up, you know, following this, this path where pain grows. And of course, we're going to look for something to numb it, which would be medication and that you're not doing anything to really affect um, the underlying cause. 
and uh, and so the pain continues to grow until you end up um, ultimately probably having surgery because you're up against the wall. And uh, and then there's so you know that's sort of a you know there's sort of this left and right side of medicine, which is you know drugs and that let's say on the left side and then and then the right side uh, being the other extreme surgery and there's this whole center path which is um you know doing understanding your body listening to your body and trying to get to the underlying cause which isn't always that obvious but if you're if you're willing to listen and and uh and and do a little physical therapy um some supplementation you can typically get to the base of it. And I would say, you know, there's so many cases where, um, let's say, you know, if you have a a CT scan um, or MRI, your chances of recovery are much less than if you don't. So, you know, it it shows the, that is a a showcase of, of how medicine can fail, fail us because it leads us down a path and it's not necessarily the best path. The best path is always to give our body a chance to heal. And then uh, after, after we try everything we can possibly do, there's probably still more ways that we can give our body a chance to heal. But ultimately, you know, there, there, is, a, you know, there is a necessity for surgery in some cases. And, and, uh, and I'm all for that. And I've had plenty of surgeries from racing bikes. But, <laughs> so modern medicine, I, I'm, not, I'm definitely not dissing it. It saved my life. Um, several occasions and um and so uh but but i will say that you know in in um breaking my neck uh, the uh the option to have surgery seemed like um the only option and i'm so glad that i that i did not have surgery on my neck and um i can say that you know my neck's extremely healthy and uh, i don't have all the uh, symptoms that i had in in the first 10 years after breaking my neck which was everything from referral pain to my hands and arms to, uh, you know, constant headaches and spasms that would take me out and essentially, well, uh, really shorten my career because I, I could not maintain the position that you need on the motorcycle, which is sort of that, you know, that tucked in arrow position just um, locked me up. So had I known uh, then what I know now, how did you break your neck? That- which one was that on that you broke your neck? It was a it was a World Superbike race at Laguna Seca, and uh, there was just a big first turn pileup. And uh, oh, that was when Aaron Yates went down. Yeah, yeah. So there was probably seven or eight bikes that went down, but I, I think I got the short end of the stick on that one. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> I went. Uh, I, it was uh, sort of a big tumble, and I went. Um, I think when my bike flipped it landed on me and then yates bike flipped and landed on me as well and i just got pummeled into the gravel trap and that, that doesn't that does not sound like fun that, no. it just doesn't sound like, like <laughs> it could have been a whole lot worse. it could have been right <laughs> oh shit i got hit by the bike oh no i just got hit again by another bike yeah those things aren't aren't light um no but i broke a bunch of bones in that crash and uh and, and it all felt normal like you know things things I'd done before, you know, broken ribs and, uh, you know, foot and uh, dislocated shoulder and um, clavicle. So I, 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 this, all these injuries, but 
but um, breaking breaking the back is completely different kind of injury. Right. And it and as a which part of your neck did you break? It was the C five C six. Okay. So there was compression compression and a, a well compression fracture and herniation. Wow. Um, wow. So a, a a tough injury, but you know your your motivation is like I get back on the bike. Um, you know, we got races to do at the time. I was leading the Superbike Championship, and uh, and I wanted to get back on the bike. And and I thought I could, you know, ride through these broken bones that I had. So a week later, I was in Mid Ohio trying to race, and you know, and I I I had you know uh, about seven broken bones, but felt like I could have raced through it, um, but the neck just wouldn't allow me to do it. It was like it was like. Uh, it was like that feeling of something was really wrong, but I didn't know what, uh, meaning I, I, you know, I, I, I knew the severity of the injury, but I, I didn't understand how, how different that kind of injury is. Obviously you, you have a bunch of scans and you discover that you've actually, you say you've actually herniated the disc. You must've had every doctor looking at you going, Eric, dude, we need to, we need to operate, you know, and you're sitting there going, no, what gave you what gave you the um the commitment to say i am not going to have surgery i'm going to try something else and and clearly it, it's worked so that that's an astonishing story you know maybe maybe i was a little naive but i, I really wanted to get back on the bike to complete the championship <laughs> i mean that was that was sort of the initial goal and then um being uh you know, a little inquisitive, I started reading about, you know, the, the, the negative sides of having surgery and just really altering that, you know, the, the design of our body. And, and, uh, and I'd also had this book stuck in my head, which was, I think, Lighting a Torch, great, great book. And he had, uh, he'd had the most common um, surgery in the uh, Air Force hospital, which was fusion. Um, spine fusion because they had you know been ejected out of these planes you know it was pretty common in those days to to have you know uh to to have to eject out of a plane and in doing so they had a high rate of, of back injuries and uh, and you know these these similar kind of right. fractures uh, compression fractures and whatnot and and uh in the book he was saying what a trade-off it was because they wouldn't let him go to the moon without having the the his spine fused but it, it ultimately um, cost him a great deal of uh of, of really well his <laughs> it, it sort of cost him many years um in the sense of uh, uh just wellness yeah so so you had you had a, a compression you know fracture and herniation and so you say, no, I, I really don't want the surgery. I want to try something else. I, I guess I'll go for the surgery at some point if it doesn't work, but give me a chance to fix it first. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, that's been part of the journey and um, it took a little too long. I, I, um, I thought I really wish I would have started racing bicycles sooner because um, what I learned on the bike is that the spasms that you get and your legs from, you know, hard effort, you know, in, in these race conditions were very similar to the spasms that I would get in my back. And, and um, at first, of course, I thought, okay, these muscle spasms are from, uh, you know, dehydration, which you always hear. And, 
And so then, you know, I try the minerals and doing these different things and don't get me wrong, minerals are really, really important, but, um, but it didn't help. And then, uh, you know, I got onto the idea that, you know, I was putting too much load on the muscles and, and under train. So I tried to ramp up train and it didn't work. In fact, the spasms were coming. The harder I trained, the, the sooner they would come, right? When you say spasms, you mean like cramps? Yeah, like cramps, exactly. So, you know, in, in, in doing this, the, the intervals in which the, cramp would, the cramps would come were getting shorter and shorter, meaning that I would, you know, instead of, uh, you know, doing an hour and 30 minute cross country race and, uh, and so let's say going an hour and 15 minutes that and having the cramps come, they would come at an hour and, you know, 10 minutes and then an hour and then 40 minutes. Like it would just kept coming sooner and sooner as I would get farther into the race season. And what I got on the, you know, kind of the idea that I got onto was uh, that, that these were very much um, uh, a memory, uh, you know, a nervous system, the nervous system's memory to say, you know, the, the body is somewhat in distress and I'm going to shut it down. And that is that uh, just, it, it, it was a light bulb that went off when I was, like, wow, that is exactly what's happening with my neck. Um, there's this, this um, you know, the, the protective mechanism in the body that's shutting, shutting things down. So uh, in doing, you know, that really with the light, well, I think with things fairly clear, I started to understand that I needed to be doing more, um, using some tools, um, on, on both my legs for the racing, um, but also my back to get to sort of um, disturb the, the nervous system and, uh, and more or less scramble those, those, uh, the, the nerve pathways so that I could get the muscles to relax. And in doing so, um, recovery came pretty quick on the back. It's, it's not to say like, you know, hey, I'm 100%, but, um, I know, I know exactly what to do if I get in trouble, which is to, you know, I can, I can do some massage therapy. Um, I can use, uh, you know, like a, a vibration works really well, not so great on the back, but on the legs, if, you know, if you have like a percussion massager or a vibrating foam roller, great way to go for the legs. Um, for the back, I think that typically is too aggressive. So hence the back mate, which is this modality that mounts in your doorway and you're able to massage against it much the way a cow might rub on a tree. You're able to do this deep tissue therapy and what it does in um, kind of scrambling the, uh, the nervous system, you, it uh, allows the natural, it sort of allows the natural process to come back into play, which is the circulation, the uh, both on the, um, lymphatic system and the circulatory system so you're able to you know drain waste with the lymphatic system and um, get nutrients with the circulatory system and 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 with that the inflammation starts going out of the area but how do you fix a herniation i mean how oh my god another big part is um is rehydrating the disc because the the disc um takes on fluid through um uh, well, really just by absorbing surrounding, surrounding fluid, it's, um, you know, there's no, there's no blood flow to discs. So, but it, they do rehydrate. And so, you know, if you, if you think about them, like a, like a jelly donut and 
some of the jelly oozes out of the inside, well, you know, a lot of people think, okay, the jelly's never come back, going to come back again. It's just not true. They're, the body will re reabsorb through the process of diffusion, and um, and then and then the disc begins to take shape again. It's not to say that you know it might not get to a hundred percent. But after 40 years old, we, uh, you know, after the age of 40, we all end up with some, uh, let's say, you know, flattening of discs, meaning, you know, that, that um, they're not as full as they once were. Um, but that is where we need to look into strengthening the musculature around the back spine to to su help support that and then do all the the right things with whether it's you know from breathing exercises um to uh to um you know using good posture and and using the tools that that we know are important and obviously the probably the biggest thing that causes back pain this is like uh, another mind-blowing fact is is stress stress is the biggest the biggest cause of back pain and um there you know we can use all of the technology and the scans and all these things and and point to oh well you know there's a small malformity in in the you know disc or spine it's leading to this problem and it's like you can't do anything about it anyway for one i mean you could do surgery and you'll probably end up in more pain or you can just try to be mindful of the stress in your life and and watch these things sort of disappear interesting yeah yeah that's um yeah you're you're definitely right about uh about compression of vertebrae because at 63 years old i think i'm probably at least half an inch shorter than i was at 20 and so clearly i've got a whole bunch of compression going on in the back <laughs> half an inch of it overall but, uh, <laughs> but i wasn't i wasn't aware that uh that discs could sort of or, or the jelly inside the disc could actually regenerate that's quite interesting um and that that's sort of a game changer actually it really is and you know what we we want this is where in developing a program for myself you know i'm trying to figure out the best way to get a, a foundation out to do greater good right which is the goal of of, of this brand because if um if, if we look at you know sort of the, the way the body can unwind itself um from from stress and repetitive patterns um For sure we can also restore it by getting getting the, the stress out of the body and i think there's just there's so much we can do and and uh and and it's fun it should be fun right like the, whether it's you know some some mindfulness and breathing exercises to um you know finding a, a better work situation that makes us think better think smarter and uh and then and then also some some cool core exercises and you end up standing taller and looking better and feeling better so it it seems so obvious not to go down the path of of uh you know kind of this well unfortunately sedentary lifestyle and um you, you know you got it you got to know what you eat and i think it's cool there's these documentaries like game changers that have come out in you know recent years 
And you can see that, you know, so many of the foods that we eat are inflammatory. And with that inflammation, you're really blocking the body's process, healing process, right? Because it's, it's like you're creating a bottleneck or, or, you know, imagine the 405 freeway in LA, you know, you, the circulation, both lymphatic and circulatory are supposed to be doing their job of elimination and, and, uh, and then, um, you know, the regenerative nutrients. And, they, and there's just no movement there. If you have an injury, such as, you know, uh, let's say a, a disc injury or um, injury to the vertebrae, there's, you know, the back already doesn't have a ton of uh, circulation. There's a, and there's also a lot of musculature around it. So um, you end up with a, a scenario where things just won't heal. If you pay attention, of course, to, you know, exercise and diet, for you know, two simple things, um, fairly simple. Um, you can you can get uh, you can really restore that healing process, and it's 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 fun, it's easy, and most importantly, it's it's the the very best thing you can do. So um, if yeah, I think uh, I think I think getting getting the 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 inflammatory foods out of your diet, which are of course like those you know carb the simple carbohydrates you know the the ones that come in boxes in the grocery store and um and then you know being easy on on the di different meats and things that you eat you know it's, it's uh i'm i'm plant-based but if if you eat meat that's fine but you want to you want to take it easy on on that stuff um and and then really you know augment your diet with those those foods that are rich in fiber because you know that's where you have you know the the, the gut flora flourishing, and uh, and and it insulates you from disease. And you can just you know whether you watch a, a and believe in a, a documentary like Game Changers, um, you can see where the 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 body performs better when you're not introducing these uh, inflammatory foods into your diet. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So going back to back mate itself it's essentially um a a rod that fits within a doorway so you can sort of self-massage um, your own back is is that correct yeah yeah that's exactly it and it's sort of uh it's simple in the sense that it, it feels great and you're essentially massaging yourself um but the the process the, the function of it is is it works on many levels and I again you know that um, desensitization of the nervous system so you're blocking pain signals to the brain let's say if you're having you know uh, maybe a numbness to an arm because you're you're working and your posture is not great or or you know old injury whatever you can do a you know massage on the the mid upper back thoracic spine and um and and with that you'll notice that 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 pain for one it you know goes away but it'll also keep it from coming back because you're you're the first part blocking pain signal so you're you're getting the thing to actually relax which is going to feel better but then in in and blocking that pain pathway you're also um kind of reprogram the nervous system a bit to not uh, continually do that same lockup. And I think we can all relate to, you know, a specific 
problem that we've had, a, a pain that keeps coming back, it keeps returning. And that's that programming of the nervous system to that protective programming. So, um, so we can, we can sort of uh, scramble that. And then the other part of the massage is that, that actual physical part, which is the circulatory system. And we're opening up range of motion um, in promoting the healing process. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's funny because it seems so simple and uh, maybe even rudimentary, but the reality is working on many different levels in, um, in the body. Right. And there's, there's few things we can do to promote better healing in our back than, uh, than, than I get a, a massage really and uh, open up that, that, that healing process. And the neat thing about the back mate is it's inexpensive. You can do it whenever you want. So if you're, you know, um, typing away on your computer. Highly portable, I would imagine. Yeah, highly portable. That's it. So you know, you're 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 working away or whatever, and you feel that tension in your neck, or you feel stress. You can like, you know, you can get in and do the traps, and 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 within two minutes. And that's the other cool thing is most people, I think, feel like there's a big commitment to you know, okay, I'm going to have this hour and a half massage. Um, the, the tests that we've done show that you get the most benefit within the first two minutes. So um, probably 90% uh, of the benefits within the first two minutes. So it, it's cool because you can just like uh, jump onto it in your doorway, meaning that you don't have to lay on the floor or anything. You, you just stand up and lean into the back mate. And, um, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's it's really versatile in that you can stand under it, you can stand above it, you can lean into it. So you can do a ton of different therapy uh, exercises with it. Um, but it, it, it's quick, right? So then you you go on your day and you might you might you might feel the need to put it up, you know, in the doorway three times during the day, but then the next day it might only be twice, and the following day only once. So um, you can you'll. Uh, quickly find that you make you can make a big difference in it with a very small amount of time, a very small effort, and most importantly, it feels good. Right. So, so essentially, it's just something you can you can use in on a sort of as needed basis. It's not you don't have to you know reschedule your life or you've got to do it every day at this particular time. You can just do it as needed, and that's it, it, great. Um, one of the other things is um, I presume that. I mean, I'm making a big leap here, but our fascia, uh, you know, that that runs, you know, within our, um, you know, within our skin, presumably it helps realign that at some level, because I've definitely heard over the years that your fascia can sort of bunch up. Um, in fact, one of the injuries I had on my leg where I broke my leg so badly, they had to cut the fascia to avoid it cutting off the blood circulation to my leg. Um, and so presumably the back mate really helps realign your fascia as well as the muscle and the, all the other stuff. And that's got to be a good thing too, surely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting how the, you know, I think maybe 10, 15 years ago, people talked about breaking up the fascia and, you know, and it, it you know, it sounds good, but the reality is it, it, it it's not that simple. It's more of a chemical process than it is a, you know, a physical process. So, um, 
the fascia health is really, really important because it is our connective tissue. It, it ties the whole body together and it does become like grizzle, like, you know, a scar tissue. And we don't want that. Um, how we maintain that fascia health is, um, in, is, is very much in circulation. So by doing, you know, by, by massaging the muscle and, you know, whether it's, you can look at any pro athlete on the planet that's playing a, you know, high level. And there are, uh, you know, there, there are some teams that um, PTs on the team that are doing uh, everything they can to preserve soft, soft tissue health, because we can break a bone and heal pretty quick. But when you have a soft tissue injury, anybody that's had a soft injury, tissue injury, and I've had my fair share, you know, it takes a long time to heal. And when it comes to scar tissue, it can be extremely difficult to heal or, or, or um, if you leave it alone, it just won't heal. Um, meaning that it bonds and then, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's really a handicap. So we can't have that, you know, on the highest, highest level of sport, but um, by, by doing, you know, a, a simple massage. And again, it doesn't take very long you can do a ton to, um, to, to take care of that soft tissue health and, and keep the fascia healthy. And what health is means pliable. Um, if we think about, you know, uh, unhealthy, it would be that the very hard tissue that does not stretch and flex. We want it to be very pliable. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's what we can do. And it again, doesn't take much effort. Yeah, I think I've I've definitely fallen into that trap. I think I have a bunch of scar tissue. Um, again, you know, sort of racing accidents. I um, shattered my uh, scapula, my left scapula, when I was uh, when I was young, and uh, and you know, broken various ribs, and all that stuff is all held together with with soft tissue. And back in those days, I mean, we we're talking forty years ago, so. Um, we didn't know so much about soft tissue and preventing scar tissue buildup. So again, for any of our listeners that, you know, that fall off motorcycles and maybe they're not horribly injured, but they, you've got to, got to keep yourself, uh, keep that, you know, prevent that scar tissue from forming and, and, uh, and keep that stuff flexible. Is that, yeah. is that right? That's right. Arthur, I, I have to send you a back mate after the show because I'm, I'm, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And especially, you know, talking about a broken scapula. Then one of the most probably missed areas on the entire body is the, that, that kind of a mid upper spine, the thoracic spine. It, you know, if we think about people that may be experiencing neck pain or lower back pain, which are the two, you know, common complaints, um, a lot of it is really connected to that, that thoracic spine and also um, internal organ health, you know, everything from, from gut health to large intestine health, um, which uh, <laughs> are so important for disease. It is all connected. It is all connected without a doubt. All connected, yeah. right. And and having that, that injury to the scapula, there's almost, you know, and probably with some certainty, uh, your that that area in your spine is uh, is is probably lacking some mobility. <laughs> so there's some really simple ex exercises you can do to promote uh, thoracic mobility, and uh, in doing so, you you do your body a world of good from really you know about this whole idea that we heal from the inside out, 
and and uh, and and that goes, you know, maybe first and foremost down to what's happening in our gut because that it has, you know, this uh, either inflammatory or anti-inflammatory response throughout the body. Um, but being able to uh, break up that older scar tissue and break up is probably not the right word, but more um, dissolve that that uh, that scar tissue. And um, and then get get the body on a on a path towards healing is is going to do you a world of good. So I understand you've just published a, a book. Um, is this on this subject? Is this all sort of part of the backmate um, philosophy? Or yeah, yeah, and it's uh, you know it's out there for everyone. It's it's um it's my first stab at at doing a little writing, and uh, it's. It, what a fun project i have a ton i want to do on 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 that side of things it's it's tough though to get it you know to get an audience and say hey this is this is worth reading but the the reality is it's it's um it's a short read you know it probably you probably get through it in a half an hour and and i think you know some of the information in there is is i should say the information in there has changed my life um it's not comprehensive in the sense that uh, there's more to add but it's it's a it's a start right and so if you go to mybackmate.com there's a free ebook download on there and it's it's uh it's it's a fun read it gives you some tips about you know sort of it starts off with uh the, the big picture kind of conceptual um of what back pain is um it I, I probably need to get in there a little further and have some more misconceptions of what people may think back pain is. But um, I think the science is really pointing towards um, how much of it is is in our mind and the interpretation of these pain signals that the brain has, and uh, and then and then um, into that inflammatory side of the things that we're doing that are 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 not allowing our bodies to heal versus um with the in the ebook there's uh, a ton of exercises and things you can do to promote um healing throughout the body so that's sort of the basis of it is it's it's um it's uh, sort of a first first pass at um uh, ways to heal the body and i think there's just there's there's so much more to uh our health than we're giving our bodies credit for in the sense of how much healing our bodies can actually do. And I think we, we just tend to lean on medicine and, and have this approach that we're going to heal from the outside in. And, and if we really have it wrong. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot to be said for that. So, um, so presumably uh, you say that it's an ebook at mybackmate.com. Yes, um, yes. I can, I'll put that in the uh, in the show notes as well on, on this episode so people can click it. And if if somebody um, assuming that I'm sure every single listener that's listening to this will immediately say, OK, you've got me convinced, Eric, where do I get my backmate from and how much is it going to cost me? Didn't you say it was like a thousand a thousand dollars for this thing? It, it is. It is. It's. It's actually a million dollars. Okay. But, right. you know, the Doctor Evil dollar. So <laughs> it's. Um, we're doing a sale right now for a hundred nineteen dollars, and you know, it's like if if you don't love it, return it. Right. Like um, it's. It, we stand behind the product. It's. It's beautiful. It's um, built out of stainless steel, 
Uh, so it's kind of a piece of jewelry. It is, it will last a lifetime. The, the thing is built awesome. And I, I'm, I'm really proud of the product. Um, so yeah, you can, you can get it at um, mybackmate.com or, you know, Amazon. Um, but I prefer mybackmate.com because it's so much better to be able to interact with the customer. It's, it's just much easier to give customer support from my side. Sure. If you email info at mybackmate.com, that's me. So, uh, so it's pretty, pretty easy to get customer support and I, I love it. You know, it's, it's really a, a project I'm passionate about. We're also launching a supplement, um, a nutraceutical and nootropic, meaning that it's, uh, you know, has, uh, well, the, I'm, I'm really excited about supplement because it's, it's going to hit again, this sort of pain from, uh, I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a new concept in that, and, you know, we talk about being able to numb pain symptoms and, uh, and that might be your Advil Tylenol and, and you have all these wide variety of, of, uh, of, of, of I, well, side effects. God, they're not side effects though, right? They're just the effects. And, and if you look at, you know, what ibuprofen does, it, it stops the body's natural healing process for one, like you can break a rat's arm in the laboratory and pump it full of uh, ibuprofen and, and, uh, and the, the, the bone won't heal. So we rely on the inflammatory response as a healing mechanism for the body. And by blocking that, we're, we're really, um, uh, well, we're, we're taking the body offline. So that, uh, that's, that's critical that we're not, you know, introducing those toxins to our body on a, on a daily basis. And I think a, a large part of society is, and then if we look at Tylenol, um, it affects the, the, the brain and uh, mood and a bunch of, you know, really important things. So, um, so, you know, again, introducing toxins that to the body that, that, uh, that, that are, um, have a ton of negative effects. And then from there, you know, you can just go down the rabbit hole of really awful things that people may do such as, you know, opioids. And, and again, all of this to say that you're just, you're disabling the body's alarm system it's like uh you know the house is burning down and you're in, in instead of putting out the fire you're just taking down the smoke alarms and saying the fire if we're good the, the beeping stopped it's like no the, the beeping's there for a reason and you know where we started this was you know is it important to listen to the body absolutely so um and with the with the nutraceutical or the the formulation is sort of a a, a three-pronged mind-body approach which um Yes, there is uh, white willow bark in there to to desensitize the the pain, or you know, say do some active pain relief. But the the bigger parts are much more in what's happening with the mind and the interpretation of the pain signal and and, and the nervous system. So um, we have so, some ingredients that are more anxiety related ingredients, natural, natural anxiety um, ingredients to, to get the mind to actually relax. And then, uh, and then there's the, the mushrooms in there to, to kind of um, stir up the snow globe in effect to, to uh, get, get the, uh, the nervous system a little bit scrambled. So, uh, so it's, it's much more this, this, uh, uh, well, this trying to affect 
the way that the body is going to react to the pain and then and then how it's going to react to it in the future so that it's sort of a there's an am and a pm side to it um and one is going to the pm side is going to help improve your sleep um has some minerals in there um to to get you to sleep well and and uh, and of course that is that that repair phase um that we need um and then and then there's the the morning side which is um to get, get the body in comfort and also um keep keep the nervous system a little bit scrambled and a little bit of anxiety um you know to to uh to keep keep the interpretation of pain uh not so alarming so it's a it's it's a neat thing it's a, a new i think a new concept for the market in general on how we um go about treating pain and we're going to release that here in uh later on this month or early August. So that's that's very exciting. And I, I think it's going to make a tremendous difference. And especially if we if we can, you know, have the two products really complement each other. I think we can change thousands of lives or tens of thousands of lives. I know that through our uh yeah, that that's that's the goal and there's so much good work to do here. <laughs> Like, like like you, I I am a I am a fan of conventional medicine. It's saved my life on several occasions, and you know there are definitely times where you need conventional medicine. You absolutely do, but but in a lot of cases, so many cases, conventional medicine seems to treat the symptoms, and let's you know let's do this, let's do that, let's you know more and more drugs and. And, and I'm a I'm a fan of big pharma. I mean, we I mean, everyone hates big pharma. I'm a fan of big pharma. They help cure cancer. They help, you know, they help, they help do all sorts of things. So, <laughs> yes, I, I don't want to make conventional medicine or big pharma out to be the bad guy. But I think there's a lot of instances where people are taking all of these drugs. And I am not a fan of, of drugs and especially big pain killing drugs. I hate opioids every time I have you know, every time I've had one of these crashes and the doctors have wanted to prescribe me all this stuff and I always refuse it. And I say, I will, I will take, I will take drugs that you recommend, but I do, I will not take narcotics. I, I absolutely will not. Um, and I prefer to just manage the pain myself. But what I'm really taking away from this conversation with you is you're saying, look, you know, if, you know whatever, conventional medicine has its place, but what you're trying to do is allow the body to heal itself. If we can clear away all this crap surrounding it, your body can actually heal itself in, in so many cases. Is that, is that a fair statement? Yes, absolutely. And that is, you know, if we look at our actions, our repetitive actions, that is what typically gets us into trouble in the first place and you know that might be uh the way that we shop at the grocery store it might be the way that we sit in our chair um you know the the way that we're not doing you know these right i'm sitting up straight now <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so so uh so you know just creating a better a healthier habits and that puts the body into a place where it's, it's going to do the right things and and uh you know we want to create this environment where the body feels like it has um you know 
stimulate the body to heal. And it's, 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 it's such a, a gift. We, I mean, I think we can all relate to where we've, we've done something to sort of trash our body and, it, and you, you feel awful. And then you also have the other side where you do that, you know, that, that sort of cleansing um, and, and you feel great and your mind works sharp and it's like, well, why wouldn't we want to live there? Why, you know, so, so this is, it's definitely a journey. It's a really fun journey. Uh, please, if you can download the ebook, it's, it's just a, it's a great way to start this sort of, uh, I think, enlightening lifestyle of, of how we can get on, get ahead of pain and, uh, and get these, you know, I think many of us have these old nagging injuries and there's no reason that we have to live with them. We shouldn't be living in pain and we definitely shouldn't be doing things to numb the pain. Listen to the body, um, sort of work backwards uh, in, in the sense of, of uh, I should say work forward in the sense of, of, of understanding that, you know, if you have a, a pain that, uh, that it might not be very obvious where it's coming from, but if we listen enough and do a little research, we can figure out how to get beyond it. And that is the real point of back pain is getting beyond the pain and, and living the best life and the most quality life we can. Terrific. Eric, thank you so much. Um, I, I think you've, you've got me convinced. So uh, I've, uh, I've really in, enjoyed it. I think it's, um, I think it's, it's uh, great, the path that you're on. And uh, I would encourage other people to do the same thing. So it's been a pleasure talking to you as always. Thank you so much. Likewise, likewise. Thanks, Arthur. And that, and you know, the, the goal here is like, I, I want to be like my dad. My dad's 80. He just, he's so fast on the motorcycle. And, <laughs> you know, I think that's, you know, that's 35 down years down the road for me. And I, I want to be fast on a motorcycle when I'm 80 and I want to be comfortable too, you know? And I, I do think that you know, there's a difference in generations and I see, you know, obviously we're going to have the, those pains and whatnot, but, um, but I want to, I want to be fast on a motorcycle at that age and I, I want to be comfortable. And I think there's, there's a way to do it. So this is, uh, this is, this is the way I'm sure of that. All right. Terrific. Thanks. I really appreciate <laughs> it. I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Get you soon. Thanks. Right. Bye-bye. See ya.